Thank you so much. Guys, it's, it's lovely to be here. It's brilliant to be here. I, I love being in, in Kingdom Vineyard every time I'm here. I, I'm going to be honest with you first. I'm still a little bit undone by the worship. Um, I'm, I'm still recovering, so I'm still kind of going to be in that space if that's all right. Uh, I think you'll probably agree it was a really uh, sweet time. Uh, every time I'm here, I'm just kind of uh, blown away by the, uh, just the sweetness and the tenderness and the reverence that uh, you guys as a community have in, in worship. I, I love that. Um, so, as I say, my name's Joel. Um, I'm a part of Causeway Coast Vineyard over in Northern Ireland. Not this time, thank you, Zach. And uh, it's brilliant to be here. Brilliant to be in a, in a church, come to a church that's on a similar journey of kind of learning what it looks like to be outward focused uh, for the sake of the surrounding community. Uh, it's just fun that way, isn't it? It's fun to, to live church that way where you're looking out to your friends, you're looking out to your family, looking out to the city, uh, and looking out to the whole of East Fife and seeing, well, well God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do out here? Uh, I love that you're actually already known as that. You're already known as a community that is outward focused. Uh, you've been on a journey of compassion for, for years and years. Uh, I love that you've been looking uh, at that over your history. And actually, I just want to start by saying that is who I know Jim and Rachel as. Um, I've had the privilege of, of knowing those guys for a few years um, since 2010, working with Jim. Uh, and that's just always what I've known those guys as. I, I want to kind of just, uh, I, I know you don't need it, but I kind of just want to commend them to you to begin. I want to say these are guys who I've always known to be focusing on those at the, um, in the corners of the room, the people who are on the fringes of the community. Um, I, would take, I would go to gym to conferences, and he'd be supposed to meet in these important people, and I'd have to drag him away from the corners of the room where he was just going after the people on the fringes, just the people who, who, who weren't important, um, and the people who Jesus probably would have been hanging out with. Um, he would, you know, he'd be in every single Starbucks branch in Stoke-on-Trent, leading baristas to, to faith and, and, and seeing healings and being impossibly kind and getting a ton of free lattes out of it too, which is, <laughs> just, I don't know if that's the kingdom gym, but it happened. <laughs> look, anyway, that, that is genuinely who they are. If you're, if you're on the fringes of the community here, if you're thinking, look, I'm new or I've been here a while and I'm, I'm not sure about going all in with community, uh, these are people who will just travel with you. They'll journey with you. Uh, they are people of honest to goodness integrity who are for you. Um, so, as I say, uh, I've known these guys for a few years, been dear friends with them, but for the last two years, uh, three years, sorry, 2016 to 2018, I've been with a different group of friends in a different part of the world. Uh, my friends, Nick and Kerry, were part of uh, Causeway Coast Vineyard, where I'm from. Uh, they went to plant a church in San Diego called Commonwealth. Uh, and I went with them for a, a couple of years just to kind of be with them uh, as they did that. And um, San Diego is a city 97% unchurched. So that means that um, if you are a Christian in San Diego uh, and you walk into a coffee shop or you walk into a, a place of work, uh, chances are you are the first Christian to have been there all week. Uh, it's a place that um, doesn't really know much about uh, the Lord, doesn't have any you know, significant recent history of faith. So as we went there and we started this church, we thought, well, what, what does it look like to, um, to lead others towards Jesus in this kind of place? What does it look like to take the, the works of Jesus that we see in the Bible and see if they're still available today for the you know, average everyday believer? Because um, that is who we are, right? Uh, and what my friends and I learned as we were out there, we, we learned as we planted that church that everything that God says he, he was in here, he still is today for us, powerfully for us today. He still is radically everything that he said he was in the book of Acts, everything that he said he was throughout the Bible for us today. Over the last two years, um, we saw probably over 2,500 people come to know Jesus for the first time. Uh, we saw miracles happening weekly. We saw a, a church that became a church of 75% new believers um, who were completely fresh to the faith, who, who saw this and started to step into it for themselves as just their regular part of, of living out what church was. Um, 
And so Jim kind of asked me to share some stories from that with you this morning. He said, look, we're on that similar journey here at Kingdom Vineyard of, of learning what it means to be an outwards-focused church. Would you come along and uh, why don't we share some stories together? Uh, you'll inspire us, we'll inspire you kind of thing. I think that's a sweet deal. So that's my aim this morning. Uh, I'm just going to share some stories and hopefully give you some uh, examples. And you can say, look, if it can happen for that short Northern Irish guy with a confusing accent, it can happen for me too. Um, I want to jump first to Matthew 10, if that's okay. Um, I know Jim asked me to share stories, but I am too Northern Irish not to ground it in the book, so we're going to go there. Um, we'll not spend a lot of time in Palm Sunday as much as I'd like to. Um, what a story of the kingdom breaking in in the everyday, though. Um, Matthew 10.1. So as we head into Matthew 10, what's been happening is uh, Jesus has been uh, on the earth. He's been going around bringing in uh, a new kingdom of hope, of healing, of um, lives restored, of brokenness healed, uh, of demons cast out, of people coming to know God as he is, as good and kind. He's been going around the towns and the villages of the people of God doing this, going out and saying, look, um, God is here, his kingdom is here. Uh, and as he's done that, um, as he's been performing these miracles openly, he's brought along some friends with him. And he's had these friends around with him, and they've been watching him as he's done all these miracles and as he's done all these healings, and, and he's talked about the kingdom of God. And then you get to Matthew 10.1, and he says this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So he's saying to his friends, he's saying, look, you too have this new hope to share. You too have this authority to go out and heal that brokenness in the world, starting here. If you want to jump down to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So the disciples have seen Jesus do all that himself. So he, he's been doing that for ages. And then he says to them, look, this isn't a one-man show. It's not my party trick. It's not my set of party tricks. It's actually, I've shown you all these healings and miracles so that you can begin to take part and take ownership in the kingdom. From the start of this whole story, it's never been... The aim's never been like an elite few, but every believer, every day, everywhere. It's never been just for an inward group who are over here, but an outward movement out into the community. And if we call ourselves Christians, that's us too. And then if you, if you skip ahead to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 20. Get there. It, we read this. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So who's the them in that? It's us. And who's been taught? Us. And what's Jesus commanded? To bring in the kingdom of God. To bring in the supernatural kingdom of God. Jesus puts the kingdom in the hands of the disciples and says, you've seen it and now you can do it. I love how the, uh, the vineyard thinker and scholar Don Williams puts it. He puts it this way. He says, the theological conclusion to be drawn from the Bible's use of the miraculous seems clear. The primary motive for divine miracles is not compassion, in that sense, in, in manifesting God's kingdom, but revelation. Because the ancient purpose of education was not merely to learn facts, evaluate them critically, and reproduce them on an exam, 
It's good news for some students in the room. The purpose of education was to become like your teacher. It's probably less good news for some of the students in the room. <laughs> Zach, I could see you with a N.T. Wright beard. So thus, his character and his behavior were as important as his thoughts. So he's saying, look, the purpose of, 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 of Jesus teaching the disciples wasn't just that they got some facts. The purpose was that they went and did the stuff that he was doing, and they became like he was. So as we hear stories this morning of what Jesus has done, we're not just learning facts, we're learning to become like our teacher and do what he does. That's why we're sharing stories this morning. That's kind of where we're heading. We're going to hear a bit about the kingdom at work so that hopefully uh, we can all kind of take courage and begin to take part in it more and more. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a few stories. Probably the first story that I have here is an example of that in my life. Uh, it's something where I saw something and heard about it, and then I, I began to see it happen in my own life. Um, we have a group in, uh, in Causeway Coast Vineyard who go out and pray for the sick every weekend on uh, Saturdays. So they go out into the town center and pray for those who need healing. And they've done that for about 15 years now, which means that sometimes people will kind of hear about it and come to them, uh, which is quite helpful. And so this one Saturday, my friend Philip uh, and Nick, they were out in the, in the town hall. And this mother walked up with her 11-year-old son uh, and said, hey, could you pray for my son? Uh, my son has this condition. Uh, it's a horrible condition that actually means that his bones are growing at different rates. So different bones in the body are growing at different rates than other bones in the body, if that makes sense. So what that had caused was his, his chest, his ribcage, um, had begun to, to kind of pull apart um, because different parts were growing uh, at different rates, kind of just uh, kind of unspeakably painful. Um, and what she explained to Philip and Nick was that the doctors had actually cut open his chest and sewn in a wire mesh as a, as a temporary stopgap. So it was a way of saying, look, we we're going to kind of keep this ribcage together for now, but actually there's not, a, uh, there's not a, a way to fix this permanently. The bones are going to continue to grow. So she said, hey, could you pray for my son? Uh, so Philip and Nick are there, and they're thinking, gosh, we've never seen anything like this before. I don't know if we've got the faith for this, but we're going to try. Um, and so they just lay uh, hands on the shoulders of this little boy, and they, they pray in Jesus' name uh, that, that God would come and that he would heal, and they, they speak healing over this boy's ribcage. And then he walks off, and they don't hear anything more, uh, and they go away. So three months later, the mother comes back and uh, comes on a Saturday, hoping to find Philip and Nick uh, in the same place. And they are there. They're out praying for the sick again. And she comes up and says, hey, um, I need you to know, here, here's my boy. Uh, I need you to know something's happened. Um, so three months ago, after you prayed for my son, uh, a, a week passed, and he started to complain that his breathing had begun to change. So he had noticed a shift in his, in, his, in his lungs and he'd got concerned and said, Look, I'm not sure if this is good, we should go to the doctor. Uh, so the mother and the son go to the doctors. Uh, they sit in the doctor's office as he uh, kind of develops the x-ray that he's taken. And as the doctor comes in and he, he puts the x-ray on the wall, he takes this kind of this step back and this sharp intake of breath and he says, I shouldn't be seeing what I'm seeing here. Uh, what I'm seeing is a completely normal chest. I'm seeing no damage to the ribcage, no deformity in the ribcage, uh, and I'm seeing no sign that we've operated. So there's no sign that we've cut into his chest at all, and there's no ribcage. Uh, sorry, not no ribcage. There's no... <laughs> and that's how you bring in the kingdom of heaven. No. And, then, <laughs> and then he goes, there's no wire mesh. So the metal mesh that they put in had disappeared, and this boy's chest was completely restored, and there was nothing in there that shouldn't be there. And he'd felt change in his chest. He'd felt, a, he'd felt a difference in his breathing. And what he didn't know was that was because God had healed him. And so, man, I heard that. And the first time I heard that story, I was like, great, that happened here. There was a doctor involved, brilliant. 
I don't know if I have any faith for that, Lord, but wow, it can happen. Amazing. Um, a couple of years later, I'm walking through San Diego in the downtown area, and I meet this man who's um, standing near a train station. I say, hey, um, I'm just out today praying for people. Uh, I'm learning how to pray. Could I pray for you, please? And he says, oh, oh yes, absolutely. I've, um, I really need your prayer. My, my hand is, is frozen shut. So he says, my hand has been frozen shut for two years. It's been locked like this. Uh, and he has a backstory to do with it. He's actually fled from Mexico because of some gang violence there. He's been shot. Um, at, at some point in his history, he's been shot. And he says, look, I had to escape. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm just here, and I, I can't afford health care. And my, you know, my hand is frozen shut. Uh, so I get to pray for the guy in the moment. Uh, and he looks down, and he's amazed as suddenly he's able to start opening and closing his hand. Uh, and he's amazed. He's having this, like, oh, God is real moment. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, Flip, what's going on? <laughs> and he's, so I look at it, and I say, can you tell me what's happening here? And he says, well, I didn't tell you this, but years ago I got shot in the back, and what had happened was the bullet had got lodged near my spine, and it was at a point uh, that had affected, uh, like a number of knock-on effects on his body, one of which was his hand was frozen shut. So somehow the bullet had gone in, and because of that, I don't know if it's nervous system, uh, but his hand was frozen shut. As he tells me that, he says, so because of this bullet, I'm not able to do stuff like this. And then he just reaches over like this, and his jaw drops, and he's like, what am I doing? And then he does it the other way, and he's like, I can't feel the bullet in my back anymore. So he has this come to Jesus moment. He ends up giving his life to Jesus, and I kind of do as well. And so like, I'm like, what is going on? And so I think, here's what I kind of want you to catch there. I, I don't know if I would have had faith for that if I'd walked up to him and he said, I had a bullet in my back, make it disappear. I don't even know if it did disappear. I don't really know what happened, but God did something there. And what I do know is that God was being kind. And he was saying, look, if it can happen over there for Philip and Nick, it can happen for you here too. It's that Matthew 28 stuff. It's the Lord saying, look, yeah, I can do all this. Yes, I'm Jesus. I'm doing this, but it's for you as well. You can go. Don't think that you can't do this. This is for every believer, everywhere, every day. I grew up in a vineyard church since the age of 15. and Actually, I, I grew up around a lot of this stuff happening around me, uh, and I grew up with quite a lot of skepticism, if I'm honest with you. Um, so I was journeying a lot of cynicism at the time, um, seeing people say, oh, there are miracles happening, and then immediately running to the bookstore and getting a Richard Dawkins book and being like, but does it happen? And then going on Twitter or like looking up Darren Brown and thinking, is this really real? Can this actually happen? Um, and in my head, I was going through all these questions like, well, what about my mom who hasn't been healed? She's had you know, type 1 diabetes and we've been praying for her our whole life. She's not healed. What about her? Or what about other disappointments that I've been holding in my heart around this? Or you know, what about the fakers? What about the televangelists? What about all of this and, and this? And you know how sometimes you kind of almost try to disprove it to yourself? That was what I spent a lot of my life doing. But honestly, a lot of what I was doing in that time was um, coming up with these questions in my head when the real question in my heart was like, do you know what? That, that probably does happen. I think God is that good. I, I have this secret hope in my heart that God is as good as he says he is, but not for me. I couldn't see that. The real question I was struggling with was like, ah, I think God is that good. But I just don't think he could do it through me. I don't think I could see it. I don't think I could do it. Um, I thought my barrier was skepticism, but the barrier really for me was like, oh, miracles are for the elite Christians. They are not for me. I think, you know, that's the thing. The barrier is never questions. Like, I've still got questions for days. A ton of questions. The barrier is just, am I, am I going to show up for this? Am I going to see this? Could it happen to me? The reality is God is pleased to pour out the kingdom on you. Luke uh, 12, 32 says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure to give you 
the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's just anywhere that brokenness is healed. It's anywhere that hearts are turned to him. Anywhere that that peace is brought in. Uh, God is very pleased to give the kingdom to each one of us here today. The truth is, he's not timid about it at all. Like we are, he's, he's not at all. Uh, all he needs is a, is, a, is a willing heart. All he needs is a ready heart that's expectant and saying, look, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to say this is possible and I can see it at my hands. That's all he needs. One of my, one of my heroes in, in the faith uh, is a guy called Nick, who I've mentioned already. And he's a friend of mine. He's, uh, he's a good friend. And we, we went over to San Diego together. But he's my hero because he just is a guy who models this perfectly. Like he goes out and he's terrified all the time and he just thinks, I'm just going to take a risk on faith. I'm going to take a risk on God being real in this moment and I'm going to do it in the middle of the fear. And he was out in the middle of Coleraine, which is where Causeway Coast Vineyard is. Uh, one day he was walking down a road in the center of town and he, he turns left down a, road called, uh, a street called Neuro, I believe. And as he's going down this street, he senses that he might be hearing, the go- uh, might be hearing God say to him, as you turn this corner, you're going to see a woman standing uh, by a wall, and the woman is going to have a tattoo on her wrist of the name Sandra. It's not the real name, but I've, I've changed it, but she's going to have this tattoo on her wrist, uh, and I want you to go and pray for her. So Nick turns the corner, uh, and lo and behold, there is a woman standing by the door, uh, standing by the wall, and he, he walks up to her and says, hey, this is a really strange question. Uh, my name is Nick, and I'm kind of learning to hear God's voice. I'm, I'm not very good at it, but uh, can I pray for you for anything at all? And she says, no. Uh, and, and he says, can I ask you another strange question? And she says, well, you've already asked me one. And he says, would you happen to have the name Sandra tattooed on your wrist? Uh, and she says, how do you know that? And she pulls down the, uh, the um, sleeve of a parka and the name Sandra is tattooed on, sorry, on her right wrist. And um, she says to him, how do you know this? And, and as Nick sees this, he feels the Lord say to him, uh, that's the name of her, her little daughter who, who died two years ago. Uh, and he says to him, I'm so sorry if I'm wrong about this, but is that the name of your daughter who died two years ago? Uh, and she just like bursts out in tears uh, and says, like, how do you know that? And he says, well, I believe God loves you. And she says, well, why would he let my daughter die? Uh, and Nick just starts to say to her, hey, I, I believe that Jesus is good and he never wanted that to happen. I don't know why that happened, but I don't believe it was in God's heart. And as, as, as she's crying and as Nick is praying for her, uh, he can't help but notice that she actually has scars uh, on her right arm. Uh, she has self-harm scars up her right arm from um, the last two years. Uh, later on, he says he has no idea why he asked this, but he says to her, can I pray for those scars to disappear? Uh, and she looks to him and says, yes, of course you can. So he puts his hand on her, uh, on her arm, and they both pray together that the self-harm scars would disappear. Uh, takes his hand off, and they both watch as the scars just completely melt away, and she has a, t- a totally clear arm. And then she goes, can you do this arm? And she pulls up a parka on this arm. And she, she says, again, same scars down here. And actually, he prays for about 10 minutes um, with that arm, and, and there's nothing changes. And he starts to get a little frustrated, starts to think, well, what's going on here, God? Why, why not this arm? Uh, and you know, he's visibly frustrated, and she says, like, don't worry. Like, I, can just, I can just tell people this was my life before I met Jesus, and this is my life after I met Jesus. Um, What's brilliant about that is she did. She would go around the church telling us all, like, look, this is my life before Jesus, this is my life after. Uh, that's what I love about that story. Um, it sounds big, right? But my favorite part of this story is, is still coming. We, we were in a gathering kind of like this one in, uh, in our church, and Nick got up to the front to share that story with her permission. Uh, and as he's sharing that story, um, I'm in the congregation, and I look over, and I see this uh, teenage girl run out of the room. 
uh, and she, she kind of darts towards the bathrooms. And a friend kind of follows her to check on her. Uh, and what has happened is as Nick's sharing the story of the self-harm scars disappearing, um, she's run into the bathroom and, and she's pulled up her sweater to check. Uh, when she was a younger teenager, she'd actually uh, been, been suicidal and she'd taken a knife to her stomach and tried to, to take her own life, which had obviously not killed her, but it had left a pretty horrific scar across her stomach. And as she'd run into the bathroom uh, and pulled up her sweater, it had completely vanished. It totally disappeared. That's lives transformed. That's the kingdom breaking in. That is unquenchable hope coming into unspeakable pain. That's the Lord. That's Jesus. And look, it, it sounds big, right? It sounds huge, but nobody in that story was a pro. Like, Nick certainly wasn't a pro. It's not like he's some kind of elite Christian going out there doing, like, spec ops for the Lord. Like, this is... <laughs> He was scared, like he was taking, just taking a risk on the kingdom being real and God being exactly who he says he is and doing it anyway in the middle of the fear. Nick said to me once, like, the thing with all this is, is the kingdom belongs to those who show up. It's not for the elites. The kingdom belongs to those who show up, to those who just make themselves available and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm willing. I'm just going to take a shot at you being real. And maybe we'll see some hope enter into lives that desperately need it. One of my favorite um, examples of this is my friend Lenny, who's over in San Diego. He's part of the church there. Um, he is a barber. He and his family came to faith after um, we found his sons in our church bathroom. And um, the church over there meets in a primary school, which smells like hot dogs. And we, we, we came across his kids just messing around in the bathroom, and we kicked them out. Uh, and they said, hey, this is our school. And we said, no, it's not. It's our church. And they said, prove it. And they said, well, why don't you come? So they brought the family with them. The family came to faith, which was great. Um, started reading the Bible together and, and uh, everything. Transformed lives. It was brilliant. But Lenny, Lenny's the dad. And, and Lenny's realizing that, look, if this is real, if this is all true, if the kingdom is what they say it is on Sunday, then surely this has to change how I live my life on Monday in my workplace. So he began to pray for his customers who would come in and sit in the chairs and he was terrified, so he just did it in his head. Uh, but as they would sit down and say, I want, you know, number one on the side or whatever, uh, he would put his hand on their shoulder and just pray for them quietly. Uh, and what he would notice was eventually some of them started getting healed. And the man sit in, sit, sit down, stand up and say, hey, my headache that I had when I came in has vanished. Oh, you must have really good hands or something. And he said, no, it's not that at all. And then eventually he started to pray for them under his breath. And eventually he started to become a little bit more open and a little bit more bold with it. Uh, one day, this lady who's been coming in for, for months and months is the, like the nightmare customer in this barber's. Nobody wants to cut her hair. She's just angry all the time. She's grumpy. Lenny starts to just be kind to her, be a little bit gentle, and, and slowly brings down the wall. One day, she comes in and starts complaining of a, a, just an awful shoulder that's, uh, that I, I believe it's a locked shoulder. And as he starts to pray for her openly, uh, she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm praying for your shoulder to get better. And then it does get better. And it turns out that this lady is an atheist. She's pretty angry uh, about the Lord in a lot of ways. Uh, and Lenny says, do you want to come to church on Sunday? Uh, and she says, well, if this is real, then yes, uh, yeah, I do. So she comes to church on the Sunday, and I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I watch as um, at the end of the service, uh, they give her a moment to respond to, to Jesus, a moment to uh, kind of bring, bring themselves into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Uh, and this lady who's sitting there just puts her hand up and says, yeah, I, I want in on this. And Lenny's whole deal completely changes from that moment onwards. You better believe like he started to realize that hope was available for everybody in his workplace, not just in a gathering on a Sunday, but every day throughout the week. He's a brand new Christian, 
And he just thinks, well, this is just the way that it goes. It's just what faith looks like. It looks like taking this every day, everywhere. At some point, the fear to share Jesus is, is just crushed by the desire to let him out. Uh, Lenny got there a little quicker than I did. A little quicker than I did. It took me about 10 years. <laughs> he took a little risk in the middle of being scared. And he just said, look, if, if they're saying on Sunday the kingdom belongs to, sh- to those who show up, what does that look like on Monday in my workplace? Cool. We have a few pictures here, and I'm just going to give a bit of a disclaimer before this one. Um, if anybody's a little bit squeamish, uh, don't look at the screen in the next maybe like few minutes. Uh, I'm going to share a bit of a healing story that is slightly graphic, um, very graphic. And if you're a bit um, squeamish about that, maybe don't look at the screen. Um, but one of my favorite stories about um, my friend Caesar is that he's a nurse in San Diego. He's a part of our church there. And, and he would go up and he, would, he wasn't really allowed to pray for people in his workplace because he worked in a hospital. Uh, he was in the wound care department and as he would pray for people there, he would just, you know, he'd dress their wounds and in his head he would pray for um, their wounds to get better. And the wound care department starts to realize that, hey, all of our statistics for recovery are trending down, but Caesars are trending up. So why don't we put him in charge of the department? <laughs> so he do. Uh, he's in charge of the department and actually the whole department's statistics for recovery start to trend upwards. That, by the way, is that's the kingdom coming in. That's bringing life into the, into the neighborhood. That is all of that. I love it. But um, one day they come to Caesar and they say, hey, we've got this guy who is uh, basically a bit of a lost cause. So he's a, a diabetic, and what's happened is that he's not taking care of his feet, and it is, one of his feet has started to fall apart a bit. Um, again, don't look at the screen if you're squeamish. <laughs> Jeremy, do you want to throw it up there? Um, so this is his foot when it came in. Uh, actually, you can't really say that, but you can kind of see through the foot at certain points there. It's not good. So they have to amputate. They've got to take the foot off. And the doctors say to him, we're like, we're done with this. Um, and Caesar says, give me 30 days. And they're like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> we're not doing that. It's not possible for you to do that. He says, give me 30 days. And so he's, um, they trust him at this point. So they say, okay, we'll give you 30 days because you're Caesar. Uh, and he, what they don't know is that every day as he's dressing the wounds, he's praying for this guy's foot. After 15 days uh, of dressing this guy's uh, wounds, it looks like this. Um, and then after 30 days of, of dressing the wounds and praying for it, it looks like this. 33 days, the doctors say, look, we can release this guy, and he walks out on his foot. That's a long-term chronic degradation in, in a foot that's completely healed. Uh, as Caesar just takes a risk in his workplace and says, look, if this really is true, then it has to affect how I live my life not just on a Sunday, but in my workplace. And that's kind of, kind of the benefit, we can probably say that off the screen now. Um, the, be- the benefit of having some medical professionals in our, in our church was that we could kind of check on these miracles and be like, well, did this really happen? Um, we had a ton of people who were medical professionals and they could just instantly say, yeah, it did actually, we've got this. Um, some of them could pray openly in their workplaces, some of them had to do it pretty secretly. Um, some of them had to kind of like just pray under their breath. Uh, under their breath. I had a friend called Mackenzie who uh, would do that often. She would just quietly pray for people and shut the door uh, until she had a deaf guy who she was like, hey, can, can I pray for you? And he was like, what? And she's like, oh, I have to shut the door. And he's like, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Anyway, she didn't get fired. It worked out all right. But I know there's some places you're not allowed to pray for people openly, and that's not what I'm talking about so much. That's a different thing. But here's my point here. Um, sometimes we kind of want to choose safe environments to practice this stuff, and oh, I'm going to pray for somebody in a corner when nobody's looking. But actually, that's not often what you see Jesus and the disciples doing 
in the scriptures. It's often out in the world in the everyday messy reality. Um, can I give one more story before we end? Are we okay? Because I know we're going a little bit over. Quick story. Brilliant. So the first week we show up in the middle of San Diego, um, we decide we're going to put a bunch of chairs out in the middle of the busiest part of town, and we're going to put a banner up that says prayer for healing. We think we're going to put, put, a, put a flag in the ground, literally, around healing. Uh, we think we're going to pray for the sick, and we're going to see if anything comes of this. So we go in. We, it's the first day we've arrived there. We put out the chairs in the park in the middle of the city. I think, let's see how this goes. Uh, lay them out, and, and nobody comes. And we're standing there for an hour, and we're like, Lord, we're here. We want to do the stuff that you say you do. Nobody's coming. We look like fools. And then this guy comes up to us carrying a big um, cart full of like tent materials. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, you're in my, you're in my spot. Uh, great. Thanks, Lord. And you're in my spot. Uh, this is where we've been coming to set up our tent for 22 years. Oh, gosh. We're so sorry. Uh, we can move if you want. And he looks around our chairs and he looks at the banner saying prayer for healing. And then he just quietly laughs and says, oh, no, you can stay. And he goes over to the other side of the, the little road that he's on, and he puts up his tent. And we look at it as he puts his tent up and think, what is this? And he puts up a banner that says, um, begin a personal relationship with reason. Uh, San Diego Atheist Society. <laughs> and we're like, oh, goody. <laughs> They've been here 22 years, and we show up with a healing ministry. And so we keep going, we keep praying for the sick who, who aren't there, and we're just standing there, and they, they're looking over at us, laughing the whole time, and eventually, at the very end, one, uh, a little old lady comes and sits down, and um, she has a bad back, and, and she does get healing. She walks away, the, the head of the Atheist Society comes over, and he says, uh, hey, my name's Rob, I saw that, I think that's uh, the power suggestion, uh, I don't believe in it, but look, I know you guys are Christians and you're actually um, putting some faith behind what you say you believe. So if you have any trouble in this park, come to me. Which is great, right? That's fun. I love that. Um, so we, we, we started a little a bit of a love-hate relationship with these guys. We would come back every week and they'd be there and laughing at us and some of them would be loving us and some of them would hate us and some of them would try and get the lawyers on us. But eventually what would happen was, uh, like, that's, that's the messy reality, right? That's as messy as it gets. Um, one day we get this guy who walks past and his name is uh, Carlos, and he's got his leg in a, um, in a brace, because he has a torn MCL, uh, a torn PCL, any medical students? Yeah. And medial meniscus. And so he, he walks by, and his, his pain is like off the charts, it's like 11 out of 10 pain. Uh, and and he, he, sa he says, look, kind of to humorous, he says, look, you can pray for me if you want, but look at this. Uh, as he sits down in, in the chair for us to pray for him, he says, look, I was set on by a gang recently with an aluminium bat, like he's got dog bites all over his body, uh, it's not good. When they hit him in the head, he actually had an aneurysm, uh, and it started, there was some fluid that was in his brain. Uh, as we begin to pray for the guy, he says he starts to feel this fluid start to drain from his brain, and then he stands up and he says, I have to go and check this. He runs into a nearby bathroom. He comes back out, and he's taken off his brace, and he, he starts to walk around, and then he starts to run up and down the road that we're on. And then he turns to us and he goes, what the F have you done to me? <laughs> <laughs> And we watch him, and he's like, what have you done to me? And, and this guy, like, he goes away, and we're like, great, fantastic, we've had a great time. We get an email from him the next uh, week, and from his doctor, saying, what the F have you done to him? <laughs> and the doctor has no idea what's happened. Carlos has no idea what's happened, but that's his life changed radically. And look, as we come into land here, like, we, we want those big stories, right? We want the awesome. We want the stories of the kingdom coming in, of lives changed, but often the awesome is found in 
the awkward, everyday reality. We want the big, but often that's found in the small. And like we might want to experience those kind of big dramatic stories, but often, I think for us, it's going to look a bit like Lenny in his workplace, terrified and thinking this is just my mundane, everyday reality. And the thing about it is that's where Jesus is. Miracles happen in the mundane, everyday reality because Jesus is in the mundane, everyday reality. It's, it's Palm Sunday. Fear not, daughter of Zion. It's your king riding in on a donkey's colt. It's the awesome and the awkward. It's the big and the small. Ah, kingdom belongs to those who show up. Guys, why don't we, why don't we stop? I've gone uh, about four minutes over. I'm so sorry. Um, I'd love to pray for you. Is that okay if I do that just before we finish? Um, yeah, why don't we do that? If, guys, if you want to stand, uh, maybe close your eyes, whatever's comfortable for you. And I'd love to pray. Guys, I hope some of that is helpful in, in like stirring up something in your heart. Like, I don't know if it's questions, if it's, if it's uh, hope. I hope there's a bit of courage in there to try tomorrow. I hope there's a bit of courage to say, look, I'd, I'd like to try this in my workplace or my, my uni halls or in, in, in the kitchen in the flat. When my, my flatmates say, hey, why'd you keep washing the dishes? And there's a chance to, to show up with the kingdom in the everyday reality. I'm going to pray for us.